Good morning. It is good to be back with you. Hope you don't mind if I sit down. I get a little out of breath. And uh, I just wanted to say, first of all, you know, say, Jesus, thank you that I'm allowed to be back here. And thank you for all your intercession and your prayers you made on behalf of, uh, of me and my family while I was experiencing um, shortness of breath. Which was, you know, I have found out that breath is of utmost importance. <laughs> you know, I really, uh, I found that out. And, uh, but uh, it's a good thing to be back and share with you. Romans 8, if you would turn there. In, in 1976, on a Friday night about 10 o'clock, my pastor, at that time, I was at South Main Baptist Church in Pasadena. We ran about 750 in service. He calls me. All I had ever done, I surrendered to preach when I was 18. And all I had ever done was to give devotionals at that point in time in rest homes, share the gospel. Not preached in front of a congregation. He called me on Friday night, 10 o'clock and said, my wife's grandmother has passed away. I won't be there Sunday. You're taking the pulpit. I, I said, excuse me? He said, you're taking the pulpit. Brother Martin, I said, uh, or Dr. Martin, we called him, I've never preached before. I don't know what to preach. He said, you'll come up with something. Just be prepared. So I prepared Basically, I stole someone else's sermon, you know, and tried to memorize it, basically, because I didn't know what else to do, and tried to make it my own. So I stood in front of, of the mirror, and I put on a timer, and I repeated this sermon, kind of from memory and from notes and everything else, and I timed it. It was 24 minutes. When I got to Sunday morning, we had an associate pastor there by the name of brother homer thompson older man gigantic elephant ears I always remember that and he stands up and says dr martin will not be with us today you see on the platform andy cherry and just want you to know he'll be preaching for us and i want you to know he is scared to death this was the introduction well that made me even more nervous so when i got up and laid out my notes and began to preach. I was speaking so fast, I finished in 11 minutes. <laughs> and I was done. Done. Okay? So, ministers would stand out back by the door. So, I was standing there greeting folks, apologizing. Basically, I'm sorry it's so short. I wish it would have been longer. Wish it would have been this, whatever. And this man came up to me and said, fantastic sermon, young man. And I said, I'm so sorry that it was so short. And he reached and grabbed my lapels, pulled me up close to him and said, Son, there's no such thing as a bad, short sermon. Thank you. We get to the restaurants early today. <laughs> I said, Great. This may be a short sermon. I don't know. But bear with me. I sometimes run out of breath. I get tired real easily, but I will try to make it as, as uh, what my notes describe. 
Now, don't take that as it's actually going to happen. You know, I may get some extra strength, praying for strength. But uh, Romans chapter 8, and I wanted to thank Philip for graciously filling in for Seth. I heard that they did a fantastic job. Uh, he was just praying that I would be back in the pulpit before Romans chapter 9, which deals with the doctrine of election, so that I would handle that. And uh, so I will be, and this is good. Let me start out this way. How many of you have had family mottos or heard mottos? Most of you have. If I say carpe diem, what do you know? What do you see? Carpe diem. Do you all know what it means? Seize the day. It's motto. Seize the day. Or Rome wasn't built when? In a day, right? Some of you have signs or, 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 or doormats that say live, what? Laugh, love. Little motto. One of my favorites was by the famous philosopher Indiana Jones where he said X never marks the spot. Or Yoda, do or do not. There is no try. That's a motto. Well, how many of you heard of battle cries? In the revolution, do you know what one of the battle cries was? American Revolution? Patrick Henry. Give me what? Liberty or give me death. In the Texas Revolution, what was it? Remember the Alamo. In Civil War, they said nothing was more scarier than the rebel yell just screaming like a banshee Indian. That was kind of a battle cry that they have. So do Christians have a battle cry? Do they have a motto? We should. And it's found in these verses today. I'm just going to read this one just to see if we even get past this verse. It is found in verse 31. I want you to look what it says. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us who can be against us in fact the Latin phrase was often repeated during the Reformation Deus pro nobis God for us that should be the motto and the battle cry of every Christian God is for us so I want to break this down just real quickly it says, what then shall we say to these things? What things? What shall we say to these things? Here's what you need to understand. Some commentators will say it refers to the things from chapter 5 to chapter 8. These are the things that Paul is stating. He's coming to a basically a conclusion of all the things that he stated in chapter 5 to chapter 8. But most commentators say, no, it goes all the way back to chapter 1. He's building a case, just like a good lawyer, building a case for the doctrine of salvation. He's building it. He's explaining to the Jews and to the Gentiles that he is writing to. He's saying, the, what shall we say? Now he's going back. This is the beginning of a section. What shall we say to these things? And so what are those great truths? We want to do just a review this morning, just real quickly, and I'll go through that to let you know and to understand, because it's always good to review. That's why we always read the Bible over and over again, so we get it in our minds. So what are these things? Here's some of these things. We're going through Romans, and we're just going to plow right back through it uh, from chapter 1. Here it says, these are these things. Paul says we're righteous through faith by the power of God. 
The gospel is the power of God. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Those are these things. What shall we say to these things? It says we are righteous. Chapter 3, he says we are justified. We are receivers of grace, and we have been redeemed by his blood. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. So these things are the justification and the receiving of grace that we have. We also receive the promise of inheritance that we have by being a child of Abraham, Romans 4, 16. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Who's his offspring? You are. You are, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are his offspring. We also have peace with God, Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we see, we have redemption, we have an inheritance, we have peace with God, and we are now in union with God, in union with Christ, We have been declared to be dead to sin and alive to God because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You remember what we said, Romans 5, uh, 6, verse 5 through 7. If we have been united with him in a death like his, which we have been, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his because we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for the one who has died has been set free from sin. The marvelous, wonderful truth of our union with Christ is that the power of sin has been rendered powerless in our lives through the blood of Jesus Christ in our union with him. So therefore, we count every day, we should, as we get up out of bed, we should say, Lord, Today, this day, I am alive to you and I am dead to sin. I present my body to you, my instruments, as instruments of righteousness. That's what, we, what Paul is saying. These are these things. Romans 7 tells us we've died to the law. So therefore, we don't have to live in legalism to earn our salvation. Romans 7, 4 says, Likewise, my brother, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. And probably one of the greatest verses that you know and should know, Romans chapter 8 tells us there's no, what? Condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Condemnation where? In eternity. When we go to heaven, When we are there, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no accusation in heaven, dear folks. None whatsoever. Satan is not up there accusing us before the Father. Doesn't happen. We are justified. We have been redeemed. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
And another thing, these things, we have been given the Spirit of God to be led by Him. You've learned this. You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. In fact, if the Spirit of God dwells in you, so we have the Spirit of God. Romans 8 tells us we've been adopted into a new family. It says, Romans 14, 8, 14 through 16, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So not only have we been adopted, we now have the third person of the Trinity interceding for us. It says the Spirit of God intercedes for us. He helps us in our weaknesses. And folks... The Spirit interceding for us with groanings too deep for words is not some kind of prayer language. It's not some kind of, well, the Spirit's going to take over and we're going to groan because the Spirit is groaning in us and we're going to have some form of guttural language where we're going to speak in a heavenly language and only God can understand it. Then that's what we're going to do, especially even when we come together in worship. We're going to try to do these kind of things. That is not what this verse teaches. Even though some will say, yes, it is. No, it's not. This is what happens. The Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. In other words, what is the will of God? The will of God is our sanctification. And so what is the Spirit groaning when we don't know and he's interceding for us, that we continue to be sanctified. And he's praying that. This is a second person, a third person of the Trinity. This God intercedes for us. And then Romans 8, 29 and 30. God loved us from eternity and called us. He foreknew us. He foreloved us. In other words, he foreloved us. We were loved before the foundation of the world be predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that's what he has done and those whom he predestined he called those he called he justified and those whom he justified he glorified this are the things that Paul is referring to let, let me work it this way let me conclude uh, this is basically what he's saying what do we conclude from chapter 1 to chapter 8 that's what Paul is saying then he says in the next phrase if God is for us, who can be against us? Now, I want you to look at that little word, if. Some of your translations will say, since God is for us. And it's often translated that in many translations. And in fact, it really is the best translation from the Greek, since God, because it's not a word of uncertainty. You know, we use the word if sometimes, well, if God is willing, depicting some kind of uncertainty. That is not what Paul is saying. He said, because of all these things, because of what God has done for us, all the gifts that he's given to us, this wonderful gift of salvation, redemption, this union with Christ that we have, he is saying, since God is for us, who can be against us? So I want you to take away a truth this morning. This is it. This one truth this morning, if you don't remember anything else, get this down, write it in your Bible, do whatever you need to do. 
there is no effective opposition against a person who is in Christ. Now, notice what I said. No effective opposition that is against us. Let me transcribe that. Who can take away these gifts? Who can take away these things from us? Who? No one. No one. Nada. Think about this. Who can steal our predestined fate? If God foreknew us, foreloved us before the foundation of the world, who in the world can take that away? Who can take away our calling? Who can take away our justification? Who can take away our glorification? To be able to say that we can lose all those things is to say that we're going to lose that which God already predestined, which basically says that you can lose your salvation, therefore you must be greater than God who predestined you, who foreknew you. No one can take that away from us. Who can thwart the very purpose of God in our lives? No one. That's why our battle cry, that's why our model is, God is for us. No matter what, God is for us. But notice this. Paul is not saying opposition will not come. Opposition will come. Opposition is here in this day and age. Opposition was there in times of Paul's teaching, in times of Paul's preaching and all the apostles. Was there opposition? Jesus said it, the world's going to hate you. He tells Peter, they're going to take you where you don't want to go and stretch out your arms. And we know during the reign of Nero, what happened to Peter? He was crucified upside down for his belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. During the reign of Nero in 64 AD or 65 AD, Paul was beheaded. There is opposition where they try to stamp out the word of God. Look at, look at Stephen in, in the book of Acts. What happens? As the opposition was against him and they were stoning him, as he was kneeling and stoning him, he saw a vision of Jesus Christ standing at the right hand of the Father, not sitting, standing there in honor saying, come on, here you go. They may oppose you, but nothing else is going to oppose you that's going to be effective, that's going to take away your entrance into glory. And folks, we have the same thing happening to us today. People want to wipe out the Word of God they want to wipe out anything that is religious, take it away. But understand, when it's our time to enter into the kingdom of heaven, there's no opposition against us. Why? God is for us. God is for us. That's what he is trying to say during this whole thing. Now, another thing that causes us grief is not only people... And not only Satan, who is the accuser of the brethren, who constantly tries to accuse us, but one of the biggest enemies that we have in dealing with this is ourselves. There's an old saying that says, we have met the enemy, and it is us. The 
biggest enemy that we have in dealing with this that throws up opposition to us are our own thoughts based upon what we believe is going to happen to us because of our sins. I know you've been there, folks. I've been there. You hear little voices in your head, little thought processes running around. How in the world could I have gotten into this thing and still call myself a Christian? You know you've been there. I have. You know, how can you call yourself a pastor when you just tried to run someone off the road? Right? How do you call yourself a pastor when you're throwing things at the TV when people say stuff that's stupid? How, how in the world does that happen? And we know that what is happening is that we are doubting our salvation. How in the world could it be like this? It's our own thoughts. It's not the enemy. It's not Satan. And please, please, folks, I'm leaning towards, after we finish Romans in the next 20 years or whenever we're going to get through this thing, is that I will do a series on spiritual warfare and talk to you about the crazy things that are out there that are so unbiblical please don't say this man Satan is after me today this is the commercial by the way I'm, I'm digressing Satan is not omniscient Satan is not omnipotent Satan listen Satan is not omnipresent he's an angel He's not omnipresent. I had my mentor tell me this one time when we were talking with a person, and they said, Satan has been so after me. And he looked at him and said, Man, you must be mighty important. And they said, Why? And they said, Because he's not omnipresent for him to show up and be after you. You must be on the, on the same level as Job. And Jesus, temptation, and the Apostle Peter, when Jesus said, I've seen that Satan wants to sift you as wheat. Folks, understand something. You know, we give so much credit to Satan for the things that are our own fault, and the enemy within is our own flesh and our own thoughts. Understand this. Our hearts that have been desperately wicked but have been transformed understand this they will still condemn us this is what John says in 1st John 3 he says by this we know that we are of the truth and we reassure our heart before him for whenever our heart condemns us what does that say we will have those thoughts because of our sins we will say oh my goodness gracious we are guilty before God he will, he will condemn us we will lose our salvation how in the world can I be a Christian but the next part of the verse goes this says this God is greater than our heart and he knows everything that's great comfort what does he know he knows there's no condemnation he knows whom he foreknew. He knows who he called. He knows who he's justified. He knows who he's glorified. He knows everything. Don't listen to your heart when it's accusing you. God already knows you're his. 
And folks, that is great comfort for us. Now, I want you to give you just a little practical application. When you have those times of doubt that you're not a Christian, that you look at your sin and think it's greater than what God has done, go back into the Old Testament and see what the saints did in the Old Testament time. One of the best places is the Psalms. We comfort ourselves with the Psalms. Oftentimes when we have funerals, we see this psalm that's being, being stated all the time. Psalm 23 says this, Even though I walk through the valley of what? The shadow of death, I will fear no evil. When those thoughts come, don't fear that thought. For you are, what? With me. Your rod and your staff, in other words, your power and your protection, they comfort me. Or turn to Psalm 27 and read Psalm 27. It says, the Lord is my light and my what? Salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. The Lord is my refuge, in other words. We turn to Psalm 30, and we look at it, and it says, You've drawn me up, O Lord, and have not let my foes rejoice over me. Or you go to 31, and it's wonderful in verses 3 through 5. Listen to what it says. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. Who uttered those words? Not only the psalmist, but who else? Jesus hanging on the cross. It says, into your hands I commit my spirit, for you have redeemed me. What did Paul say? We've been redeemed by his blood. Or go to Psalm 34, and you look in Psalm 34, and you look in verse 17 through 22, it says, When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned, but the Lord redeems the life of his servant. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. What did Paul say in Romans 1, 8, 1? Therefore, there is now what? No condemnation. You see, you can run to the scripture. You can run to that help. You can run to it and you say, Lord, my thoughts are betraying me, but you are greater than my heart. You are greater than my thoughts. And I know that you're my refuge. You're my strength. You're my rock. You are my fortress. One last one. You can go to Psalm 46. And you see in Psalm 46, he says in verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. That little Hebrew word, present, really is translated well-proved. God is our refuge. 
God is our strength. Well, very well proved in the time of trouble. He is there. He says, therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. So therefore, practically, what do we do? When our hearts condemn us, when our hearts betray us, when our thoughts start giving us accusations, how in the world can we be a Christian? Folks, understand this. God is for you. So let it be your battle cry. Let it be your motto. God is for us. Amen? Amen. God is for us. Let me give you a precursor of next week. If I can. We're going to move a little forward. And we're going to deal with some of these topics in preparation for chapter 9. As we come there, this is, this is a sticking point for a lot of people, Romans chapter 9. So next week, we're going to be looking at verses 32 through 34. We may get to 35. Notice what it says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Who is the for us all? We want to discuss that a little bit next week. And we'll talk about who shall bring any charge against God's elect. It's a subject that uh, we're going to move into, but still it comes under this category, God is for us. You see, there's seven different questions that Paul is asking in this whole passage. Seven different questions, and he's giving the answers to them. We want to find out those answers so that we would be well informed. And because we're well informed, we can, we can then move closer and closer to God and thank Him for the marvelous things He has done for us. What shall we say to these things? God is for us. Let's pray. Father, thank You that because You've given us Your Son, because You have called us unto Yourself, we thank You that we have redemption through that blood. We thank you that we have the assurance of our salvation. We thank you, O oh Lord, that we have the Spirit of God within us that cries out, Abba, Father. Thank you for these wonderful, precious gifts that are all from you and from your hand. Father, we just ask now, as when we go throughout this week, and Lord, we sin, Lord, help us to understand we have an advocate with you Lord help us to understand that as we confess these things you forgive us but you don't cast us out thank you Lord that you restore us and you cause us to persevere in you so Father help praise be upon our lips help us to recite as the psalmist did you are our rock and our refuge and our strength let your rod and your staff comfort this con congregation this week and through many weeks to come until you take us all home let us understand your power and your grace and your mercy and your love and I ask it in Jesus name Amen